I'd gone with my dad, probably around the age of 10 or 11, to his friend's shop, Mejia's, down on 6th Street here in Corona. It's the first place in town that was actually renting out VHS, and uh, we were so excited as kids to walk in there. There was these walls of VHS movies that we had a chance to pick out and rent one. And I found one and I pulled it off. Didn't quite know what it was, but the title was interesting. It was called Goonies. And I plugged it in, watched it, and I think adventure entered my heart from that point on, from the idea of Mikey's awesome attic with, with amazing maps up there to the fact that they got to go down into the caverns and suddenly there were booby traps. Yeah, that's what I said, booby traps. And it was just incredible. What an awesome opportunity to, to just enjoy the adventure with them. And then I got introduced to Narnia and then I got introduced to Tolkien and all of these amazing adventures. My heart ached as a young man to engage. In an adventure. I don't know, maybe you're like me, you longed for an adventure, you always wanted to be on one, or maybe you didn't really care, you're like, I'm good to stay home, never go on an adventure, I'll just play the video game, and that's good with me. But I just want to ch challenge you, do you realize as a Christian you're on an adventure? Do you realize that the day that you received Jesus Christ, he set you on a trajectory with a gospel that has been sent into the world? That when he actually rose from the dead, turned to us and said these words, Hey, I'm giving you a commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And man, he sent us on an adventure. What an incredible opportunity we've had to look at the adventure of the gospel going through the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to be back here in the book of Acts. And what we've been examining is this life of Paul as he's gone from the Pharisees against the church to the man who is a missionary bringing the gospel to the nations around him. Now, what's fascinating about the Apostle Paul is that as we have examined his adventure with the gospel, he's gone through all kinds of things. We left him off last time at a riot in Ephesus. He's been there for three years preaching and teaching, and now, hey, they're done with him. They're yelling and screaming, and uh, he doesn't go in, but eventually he deals with everybody. He calms them down, and he's now ready to engage in the further step of the gospel as he's moving into this adventure. We, we pick up with Paul here in Acts chapter 20. We're going to be looking at these verses from verses 2 and on. We'll back up to verse 1 as we begin to look at the fact that we're going to be inspired on our adventure with the gospel by Paul's adventure with the gospel. The rest of the summer, we're going to go over the whole rest of the book of Acts. We're going to examine this awesome adventure that Paul has been on, and we're going to see the end. But here's the thing. It's not the end of the gospel's adventure. It's the end of the beginning. What you and I get to pick up then is where the gospel has left it off in our hearts and our lives to take it into the world even further. And there's some things that we're going to learn from Paul this week as we dive in. So if you've got your Bible, open it up again to Acts chapter 20. And we're going to begin here. It says, Then after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Now, this is incredible. Paul has now journeyed from this area of Ephesus across into the northern portion above Greece, down through, as you saw, into Greece and back up. He spent time in Corinth. He's gone back up to all the churches, encouraging them and actually collecting money to help the Jerusalem church that is starving in a famine. But what I see is as we go on an adventure with the gospel, the gospel will lead you to people unlike you. The gospel is going to take you to places that you would never expect and to people who are totally different. 
Paul was a Pharisee. He grew up in a situation where he was never allowed to set foot in a non-Jewish home. They were dirty. They ate the wrong food. They worshiped demonic gods. I mean, these guys were out of the zone of everything that Paul would have considered kosher and normal. And yet here he is after meeting Jesus, after having the gospel, and he is entering home after home, city after city, engaging with all kinds of people, all kinds of religions, and calling for them to come to Jesus in the gospel. You know, this is something that you and I need to challenge ourselves with. Where has God sent you? It may be down the block. It may be at your work. But God has placed you somewhere to meet people who are unlike you, unlike you politically, unlike you maybe racially, unlike you maybe even ethnically, that they come from another country. Maybe God's even called you to sell everything, to move to another country, to bring the gospel, as some of our people in our church actually have done. Maybe it is a call to get uncomfortable and to begin to engage with those who are nothing like you for the sake of bringing the gospel to someone who needs it. That's what Paul did. That's what the gospel calls us to do, to go over these borders, cross-culturally to those who are unlike us. But we also see something else here, that, the go- that this gospel is going to take us to other people. And so first, ask yourself, where is the gospel taking you? Where is the gospel taking you? And what's holding you back? Is it the fear? Is it the differences? Because those people may be frightening to you. They may be different from you. But the gospel is leading you somewhere. And it's leading you to someone. Notice Paul's little list here. It says, Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. So this is a man from Berea. And and this next man comes up. And the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. What's interesting about these two men is they're very different. Aristarchus is probably an aristocrat, while Secundus is the name of a slave. And then you move into this. You have Gaius of Derby from another town, and Timothy, who was Jewish, from Jerusalem. And the Asians, that's not Asians in our modern sense, but people from Turkey, Titius and Trophimus. This is a big list, seven people that come from all over the world. And Paul has befriended them, not only befriended them, he's discipling them and he's sending them ahead of him as a representation of the gospel. And this is important because God's put people in your life that are different than you for the sake of bringing to the gospel to disciple them up in the gospel. Who is it in your life that is unlike you right now? Who is it in your life that thinks differently than you, that looks differently than you, that acts differently than you, whose age is different than you? Are you removing people from your life and only keeping the people that are like you, that are Christian, that are safe? In these cases, the gospel needs to seed into you. It's calling you on an adventure to go beyond yourself, to connect with those who are unlike you for the sake of loving them, caring about them, understanding them, so you can build a bridge to the gospel. This is what I love about a man named Daryl Davis. Uh, my friend Stephen had pointed him out to me years ago, and I watched a documentary on this, this man who took the ethic of Jesus, and as a black man, he actually befriended KKK members. And David, Daryl Davis is interesting because as he would befriend them and connect with them, he would show them and convince them with his love that, that black men weren't scary and they weren't people to kill and all stuff. And he has an entire closet full of KKK robes that men have given him as they've left and abandoned and repented of their ways. That's the power of the gospel crossing over. 
That's the power of what happened to all of our backgrounds. Somebody crossed that divide to us to give us the gospel. Somewhere back there, somebody stepped across a line to someone who it was unlike them to share with them the message of Jesus, and it changed us all. And the gospel's going somewhere. It's on an adventure, and we want to be on it with him. We want to be on it with God. We want to be on it with his gospel. Now, as we continue forward, we see that um, Paul is going to now land in a city called Troas. In fact, it goes in verse 5, uh, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we, notice Luke is in there, sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. This is a very interesting scene. Now, Paul has landed in the middle of Troas. He, he sent these guys forward. They've been there for a while. It takes two weeks for him to catch up to them after he celebrates a week of the celebration of unleavened bread. He comes to Troas and he begins to preach for a whole week. We come to the last day, which was a Sunday, and they're having a church service. They're gathering together to, to take bread and eat it and remember Jesus and to spend fellowship time. And then he gets into a very serious sermon so serious, he feels like he needs to finish it. He's going to leave. He's going to take go away. So he's going to prolong his speech until midnight. And here's what it says. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eugenius, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Hey, now, I'm not quite sure what in the world is going on in this scene. I'll just be honest. Uh, per, a lot of pastors have made a lot of comments about it. You know, maybe it's telling us we should never have a church service on a third story building, you know, that kind of a thing. At the same time, maybe it's saying, hey, don't have 12-year-olds sitting and, and listening to your long-winded sermon, buddy. Preach shorter. You know, there's all kinds of options here that we could, we could claim. But to be honest, it is a confusing text. In fact, it continues on. It says, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Hey, you can imagine what that would be like, that they've lit all these torches, they've got all this light, it's flickering, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's, it's, it's all this stuff. And we're going like, what does it mean? Well, I think that we can at least say this, that it, it takes serious time to disciple and teach. We can't just do this quickly. In our day and age of slogans, tweets, and, and hashtags, to bring the gospel takes some serious amount of time. He's already spent a week. He knew he was leaving, and now he needed to take a longer moment, even till midnight, at the expense of some young man's life, to preach this message, to make it clear to disciple people, hey, don't truncate the discipleship because you need to go to bed. Don't truncate the moment with your children because you're wiped out and it's the end of the day. Or don't stop that conversation with your friend when, it, when you're trying to disciple and move them towards truth because, hey, you got something else you got to get done. As we work through this process, we want to understand that the gospel takes time. It's worth it. It takes a lot of time and we need to continue to press in. 
It's going to be more than a tweet, more than one class. Sometimes it's going to take hours and it's going to take our focus. So yeah, what are we saying then that, that with the boy, I mean, does this mean that hey, God's just going to resurrect anybody who dies in the sermon? I don't, I don't think so. But what I do think it means is that when you and I go on the adventure of the gospel, what you and I engage in is the same power that was empowering Elijah, that was empowering Elisha, that Jesus had by the Spirit, that Peter had by the Spirit, that Paul had. It's the same Spirit that dwells within you and me when we get out there to preach the gospel. God's not going to probably raise people from the dead for you. Maybe he will, though, because he can. The same power resides in us. He still does miracles. And we can go through those questions of like, well, what about when he does and all that? Go back to our miracles series a couple years ago. Find it online. You can check it out. But the bottom line is God still indeed does miracles and his presence is with you as you're on this adventure. And yeah, it may take some serious time to give that message, but God is there and he's empowering it and he's bringing it. Trust him in it. And so as we move forward, then we begin to see that Paul leaves. He actually goes out and takes off from there. Verse 13 then continues, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Isos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he had met us at Isos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them this. Now, what's going on here is that Paul has sailed all the way down to Ephesus. He has an important message he wants to give to them. And he wants to tell them something. He's on a journey to Jerusalem. He has the money. He's probably collecting some from Ephesus, but he does not want to be stopped there. Lots of people he knows, lots of people he loves, but he needs to keep moving. And so he speaks to the leadership and he tells us some very important things about this adventure of the gospel that he's been on and it calls us to. In fact, the first thing we're going to see is that the gospel calls us to be humble, calls us to be determined, and calls us to be bold. Notice how Paul puts this. Starts off, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what he does right here is he begins, he says, you guys, I want you to be humble. He served the Lord with all humility in tears. What that means is that he didn't come with pride. He didn't come arrogant like, hey, I'm the awesome Pharisee who's going to teach you guys everything. You need to listen to me. No, he came humbly serving Jesus who came humbly to serve us. This is important for all of us who are beginning in evangelism. Man, so often when we get out there, we can come with pride, ready to win that argument and break that person down and, and make them see they need Jesus. Man, I know it. I'm angry. Ah, that's pride remember sitting at a Starbucks talking to a young man early on in my youth ministry. I tore his philosophies apart. Every statement he made, I ripped into it, broke it down, disintegrated it. He didn't leave a Christian. He left angry. 
See, my pride stopped him from seeing the gospel. My pride stopped him from seeing that I cared enough to listen to his concerns, work through it with him, and spend the time it took. Paul was humble. He came, maybe, yes, proclaiming, but, but not with an arrogance as if he was the man and everybody needed to listen to him. You know, I'm saved and you guys aren't. You need to understand I'm righteous and you are not. That kind of behavior is always destructive and will remain destructive. No, we come with humility to those we teach. We come with humility to those we preach to on this adventure of the gospel. In fact, Paul then tells us not only that, we need to be determined. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions wait me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you hear Paul's determination? He's not going to count himself more valuable than the gospel. He's willing to even put his own life on the line. Second, he's going to finish the course. Can I just say you don't retire from the adventure of the gospel? If you're alive, you keep living it. You keep going on it. You may be in a nursing home. Well, preach the gospel there. That's why we say we do it wherever we go. We love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. You may be locked in quarantine. You share the gospel online. You may be open to your friends and your neighbors. You share the gospel on your street. You share the gospel at your workplace. Guys, this is the point. Are you determined to live out the calling that Jesus Christ put on all of our lives? It's not my job only as the pastor to preach the gospel. It is the calling upon all of us that we need to be determined, and it's going to take a determined Christianity, a determined set of Christians to bring a message of hope and of reconciliation and salvation to God in this world right now. And we need to be determined. We're not going to give up. We're not going to quit. We're not going to shy away. We're not going to be fearful. And in the face of those things, we're going to press in. This is what determination is. It's courage. It's strength of our convictions that God has given us this message to pass on and we're going to do it. So go back. Who are those people that you know that are different from you, that God's called you to connect to? Where has the gospel sent you? Because now it's time to be determined to bring that message to that place. The message of Jesus Christ bearing our sins and brokenness on the cross to heal us, heal our world, and to bring peace and righteousness. What a message. But it takes determination, Paul says, to bring it all the way to the end. And it means that we're going to have to be bold. Notice this final thing he says, beginning in verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of all blood. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Th this is incredible. He says he was bold. He didn't shrink. He says it twice, which means something. He felt like he wanted to, but he pressed in. Oh man, how many times has this convicted me? Man, I want to shrink back. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't step in and bring the gospel. Sometimes I don't step in and just say, hey, I love you and I need to share this with you. Otherwise, it just, I can't be the Christian I know I need to be. And I shrink back. Boldness is the ability to step in with our determination kindly, 
consistently to share the gospel. Because here's the thing, he says this, I'm innocent of the blood of all. What he means is that there was no one Paul met that God brought into his, into his sphere that he didn't bring the gospel to. And now that's convicting. How many people do we know that God's put in your sphere, that's put in my sphere, that when I said, hey, I'm not going to see your face again, they never heard the gospel from me. You moved out of that block, moved out of that state, that city. You came to a new place and there were people that, were, that you left behind that you never took the opportunity to bring the gospel to. It's not, it's not getting the opportunity, you take the opportunity. And we're going to have to stand before Jesus who's going to ask us, I, I gave you these opportunities, what did you do with them? And to be quite honest, man, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do to God. But we don't have to. We can engage. We can press forward. I want to challenge you. Be bold. Stay humble. Get determined. The gospel is ours. Let's bring it to these people because the adventure is calling us to these things. The gospel is calling us to these things. The gospel is also calling us to something else. Check it out. Here, we're going to look at this verse beginning in verse 28. It says, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock Hmm. in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I find this fascinating because now he's talking about leadership and that gospel may call you to leadership. He may call you to a leadership. And this means we need to live out some certain things. Let's read it again. Verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care of the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so here we have it. The gospel is calling you and I to this adventure and possibly to leadership. So what's the leadership do? Here's what we do as a leadership. Number one, we actually check our own hearts. And how are we doing with the Lord? Are we walking with him? Do we know our theology? Because the last thing we want to become are false teachers, the wolves that are going to break in. I'll tell you what, I fear that thought that somehow I become a false teacher, that somehow I broke away from the word of God and I'm teaching you falsely. And I hope that every Christian in our church, Olive Branch, I hope all of you are so determined to continue to grow in your knowledge of God and in theology and the word of God so that you know the false teaching that comes your way. But we are called as the staff and elders, we are called as those as your pastors to be those who not only check ourselves, but check you. And that means as pastors, we're going to come to you guys. We're going to say, hey, listen, that's out of bounds of the scripture. That's not how you should post that. That's not what you should say there. Hey, by the way, Christians, that's a false teaching. That isn't part of Christianity. That comes from communism. That comes from a cult. That comes from another religion. And we want you guys to understand that that may stink and you may not like that and you want to fight with us. But as your shepherds of God's flock, not my flock, God's flock. I have to stand before Jesus and say, I stood in defense against false teaching. I'm asking you guys, hear me. It's not comfortable as a pastor to come to you guys and tell you, hey, that teaching isn't true or that's not the right way we should say things. But I hope that as you hear us, you understand that when we come to you, we're coming out of the calling we've been given in scripture to defend the truth of God. 
and to lead you in it. And there's a lot of falsehoods out there right now. There's a lot found in this stuff called progressive Christianity that wants to put you in the center to make you all that you should be so that you can be fully what you need to be. And it, it actually imports a lot of communism and other concepts of secularism into Christianity. It tries to own them in the scriptures. And you're seeing it a lot right now as it comes from liberation theologies and all these things. You're like, I don't even know what these things are exactly. And as we've studied it and we're careful to look at it, we want to remind you it parts ways with the simple truth that Jesus Christ humbly laid himself in love, self-sacrifice on the cross to bear our sins. And so we are called to live that same gospel. And so we need to look and say, is this the gospel? How do we live this gospel here? How do we love Christ here? And when we're going the wrong direction, man, it's incumbent upon us to help guide you back and to see it in our own hearts, to be men and women of the word of God, and if God calls you to leadership in the church, it's a calling to continue to develop and check your heart and grow in Christ. That's a big, big deal. And we want you to understand that's our calling. We're not trying to be mean. We're trying to be faithful to God's flock who he purchased with the blood of Christ. Now, Paul is saying this because, man, he wants these leaders to understand. This is hugely important. But there's one thing this gospel adventure will take us on. And he mentions it as he's probably collecting the money from those men to take to Jerusalem. And we pick that up here in verse 32. It says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold, or peril. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Look, the gospel is going to call us to meet needs. It's calling us to bring that gospel out there and meet other people's needs. Now, Paul says, hey, I worked with my own hands because he's trying to tell them I can, you can trust me. As I collect this money, I'm not keeping it for myself. I'm taking it to Jerusalem. And so Paul saw it as his job to work hard and show the gospel in his life. As he worked hard, made money, and gave it away. And he gave it away after meeting his own needs. So he wasn't a burden on these brand new fledgling churches. Now later, as these churches are established, he would tell them in other books, hey, you got to pay your pastors, you got to pay your elders a double blessing, make sure, and, and I believe the scripture is saying, pay them well, make sure they can live well so they can, they can minister to you well. The bottom line here is Paul is saying, when we make money, when we have money, we do it first, yes, we need to meet our needs, but second, to give to those who are in need. Now, this isn't always money. Right now, there's lots of ways that you can meet people's needs, isn't there? There are people who are locked in their homes who just need someone to talk to. You can give them a call, pray with them, connect with them. There are people right now who don't know certain things theologically or otherwise. You have an opportunity to teach them. Use your knowledge and give it away. Or maybe you have money and you have an opportunity. You know somebody who's lost their job. You have an opportunity to supply their need and help them out. You have an opportunity to meet a rent. You have an opportunity to, to do something, bring some food and care for people who are otherwise in a difficult scenario or setting. Maybe you have the opportunity simply to use your prayers and your time to bless somebody or even just a relationship. There are all kinds of things that you and I have in our lives that we can give to someone who's in need. 
And then our world is filled with needs. As we were needy in the, of, of, for our sin, Jesus came to give us righteousness. And so we, in the same way, need to give. Because as Jesus said, it's better to give than simply to receive. And praise God for the giving in our church from the food drives and everything else that we've been able to put together. And I ask that God will continue to bless us for it because we're on this adventure together, this gospel adventure. In fact, Paul will kind of wrap it up here. And in verse 36, he says, And he went and he said these things. He knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping and on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I think it's a great picture. When you leave your neighborhood, when you leave that work, when you leave this world, will there be many people from all kinds of cultures, different from you, weeping, wishing that you didn't move out of town, wishing you didn't move from your neighborhood? Will there be people there wishing they could see your face again, even though they will not? That's when we've done a great job at the gospel adventure. When we've built relationships and built people around us so that if we leave, there is a sense of loss. If we were to go somewhere else, there is a sense of, I wish they were still here with me. Guys, this is an adventure we get to go on in humbleness, with determination, yes, with boldness, crossing cultures, being humble and giving to those who need it. Yes, spending time to be theologically right. But this is a time, my friends, that this adventure needs to be lived. And as we go through the rest of the series, seeing where it takes Paul, I hope it empowers you and excites you about how to bring that message to other people. And in this time of racial divide and all these things, man, this is a time people need the gospel more than ever. In this time of locked in COVID and all this stuff, this is the time they need to know the God of comforts is there to be with them. And I want to tell you, this is the time to build bridges. It's time to lean in, to prepare in humbleness, the opportunity at the right time to bring the message of Jesus Christ. And I hope that we would take this. And I ask that you guys just bow your heads and ask God now to use you and to take you forward in the middle of all of this adventure. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, show us those people we need to go to who are unlike us, that we need to connect with, to love, to listen to, in the hopes that we might present the gospel. God, we know we're uncomfortable. Help us not shy away and back down. God, we know that we need to do this. Help us to be bold at the right moments and keep us humble. Help us meet the needs where we see them. And God, we know you're with us. Help us take the time it's going to take. And we might not leave anyone behind you've called us to touch. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.